My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum. Wait, yeah. We talk to people who make the forum what it is about the things that matter to them. I've screwed up the tagline, Nick. I, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> our guest today is Nick Dingle from Canada, who you guys know as because it's like a play on A, being cynical, B, being a guy named Nick who sins a lot. Am I right, Nick? That's right. Yep. It's uh, double the pun. Well, what does your wife think of your cool, edgy username? Um, I think she kind of tolerates it I mean, <laughs> with amusement. Uh, do you ever ask her to call you Cynic? <laughs> if I did, I think she'd just burst out laughing. <laughs> so I just want to say, uh, Nick, you and I talked a little bit before we started recording. You are Canadian. I can That's immediately right. tell from talking to you that you have this this really, you have the, the sort of the quintessential Canadian affability about, about you. You, <laughs> you immediately seem like a really friendly guy, so I want you right off the bat to tell me something edgy about yourself. Edgy. Yeah. Uh, now, you don't, well, have to get too, you don't have to get too dark. I don't, you don't have to <laughs> dig too deep, but uh, what, what do you got? Uh, my wife would tell you this. Um, if... I am an absolutely uh, horrible person in the morning. So you're grumpy. In fact, I, I just shut down. <laughs> you're, like a, you're not a morning person. You're grumpy in the mornings. Absolutely. Yeah. I just basically stare out the window and for a good hour, I, I don't talk to anyone. <laughs> so like you have your like morning emo, moody, cranky face. That's that's really edgy, Nick. That's wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's about as edgy as we get up here. Now you so you mentioned up there you're in Canada you're in uh, Ontario and you you said you can do an American accent so what I want you to do for us because down here in America we love the way you people talk it's really cute <laughs> so I, I want you to say I'm going out and about in the house in a Canadian accent and then in an American accent all right so this is this is the Canadian this is the right way that okay. you say this mm -hmm. so we up here we say it out and about around the house. Okay, now do, is, now that, do is, that, is that what you expected it to sound? Yeah, us patronizing Americans love that. We're yes. like, oh, you Canadians are so cute. So now do an imitation of, of us stupid Americans. You guys say, out and about around the house. <laughs> now that sounded like it took a lot of facial contortion for you to it say did. that. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that it's spelled with W's instead of U's. <laughs> uh, so up there in Ontario, tell me what Ontario is like. Uh, right now, Ontario is um, pretty nice. Spring is starting, but it's still kind of chilly out. I think it's it's around zero, uh, zero to five most days. Oh wait, you guys are in Fahrenheit, aren't you? Zero to five is like, uh, yeah, that's I, I don't I don't I think that's the temperature on like Pluto. I'm talking about like Earth temperature. Right, that's zero right. You guys, <laughs> you still use England temperatures, right? <laughs> We're, uh, so yeah. that, I think that's like forty degrees, okay. thirty-five, forty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's kind of mucky and the snow's melting. And is Ontario a big city? What's uh, like it's, it's not <laughs> Toronto, I assume. But uh, like you guys, it's like a cultural center, right? Uh, it is. Yeah, we've got lots of farmland. Yeah, it's there's all kinds of people in Ontario. Yeah. And you you grew up there, yes? I did. I grew up in a little city called Waterloo, mm -hmm. um, which is about an hour from Toronto. 
when you were a kid in Ontario or in Waterloo growing up, what did your folks do? My dad's a doctor uh, and my mom's a teacher. So what happened that you became a professional computer programming nerd instead of a doctor or teacher? Uh, I think I, I always was good at the math and uh, – we got our first computer, which was an Apple IIe. Oh, uh, yes, Nick, yes. Oh, I remember it so fondly, right. I think I must have been, let's see, I would have been around seven or eight when we got that. Um, and my, I remember my dad taking off the case and showing me all the stuff inside, and he was really excited. So he kind of always liked that stuff. Um, and then he got me a computer while I was in high school, which I had in my room, and that's how I got into games, uh, PC games. Mm-hmm. Um and I kind of just started plinking around with programming when I was like 10 or 12. And then I went into university for it. And so what were you were you gaming like was gaming what got you interested in this magical computer box? Or was that just part of what was cool about this magical computer box when you were a kid? I think it was well, it was part of it because I had consoles, too. Like I had the I think my first console was the the gray and uh, Nintendo, the first Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Uh and, uh, but I had, um, like an XT, uh, in my room and I used it for, for, for PC gaming, but also for like BBSing. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. Those yeah. Cause things. I, cause I had a modem as well and I would monopolize the family phone line. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes like your mom would pick up the phone to make a call and you'd be like, mom, I'm on a BBS. Yeah. Yeah. It would beat me off. And in those days you'd load up a BBS and it would be like an ASCII art homepage that would come in one line at a time and, <laughs> but that's how i got posting on forums too because that's that's mainly what bbs's were now are you uh i apologize i have to ask this i th- i'm assuming you've been around quarter to three a long time just because i'm so used to talking to you but are are you kind of a newer guy or you've been around i am long? actually well i've been i i joined uh i think i signed up to join in like december of 2009 um, and that was back when you had to like wait for approval before you were sort of let in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I didn't get posting privileges until like March of 2010. So it's been <laughs> about a year. So you are the new kid. All right. Apparently. Yeah. But uh, apparently it only takes one year to make like 2000 posts. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And, and, and well, I, pathetic, depending on. Well, and I think 1500 of them are in the movies sub forum. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, I think it was the movies forum, which kind of led me to quarter to three in the first place, because I was sort of at that time, I ha- I was kind of looking for a place to talk about movies online. And, uh, I think I subscribed to the RSS feed because I liked I wanted to keep up on different articles you were posting on various sites and you were, you would link to like a review that you made and, and there you would post a link to the movie podcast. So I started listening to it and, uh, I, I, I sort of then found the forums and I wanted to jump in. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I want to talk in a minute about the movie podcast. Uh, but, but first I want to ask you, what is it like being, uh, in, do you guys get a lot of good, art house movies in Ontario? Do you have a good art house theater? Well, uh, where I live in Ontario is a city called Burlington, um, which is about an hour out of Toronto. Um, We used to live in Toronto, but we moved out here, which is kind of like the suburbs, to buy a house and have a family. Um, So when I lived in Toronto, there's lots of art house stuff going on, and you can see movies all the time. In Burlington, there's nothing like that. It's sort of 
one big cineplex down at the strip mall and that's you know they get the blockbusters and that's what that's that's my only option these days when you go to now actually uh your options these days are even more limited for reasons that we'll talk about in a second but when you go to a theater in to to your big cineplex theater there are moviegoers polite and like i imagine in canada they're all very polite and nobody talks and everybody's friendly uh (laughs) is that the case or do you guys have a bunch of yahoos talking to their friends when you go to see a movie Oh, you mean like actually in the theater? Um, yeah. Sometimes we get that, like little teenagers talking to each other. Yeah, that's I remember that. <laughs> but generally, people are pretty good. It's yeah. not like a it's not a free for all. Uh, I love part of what I love about Los Angeles is in a lot of theaters here. There's a sense that there's almost a sacrosanct sense about about the industry and movie making. So there's some great theaters here where everybody knows not to talk. And I'm from Arkansas, and I just know that if I were to move back to Arkansas, it would be full of rednecks offering observations about what's going on on screen during the, the movie. And it would, it <laughs> yeah, would I've got back. that impression from hearing you talk about the theaters in Los Angeles, like the the ArcLight and the the yep. you know those old places where you can go. Uh, there's a there's a couple of nice theaters in Toronto because uh, Toronto has the film festival every year in September. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a very cool film festival in that it lets anyone get in. Um, it's not like a can where you have to be in the film business or whatever to see the movies. So during the Toronto Film Festival, which I've only been, I, I think I've only ever been to once. Um, but the, the everyone, like there's a whole standing in line culture uh, to that film festival where you line up for hours to get in and you talk to other people in line about what you've seen and what you're going to see. And uh, it's very, very, it's, it's, it's a whole different kind of experience than just regular movie watching the rest of the year. So I, I used to go, I haven't been in a couple of years, but I used to go fairly regularly to the Sundance Film Festival, which is the same thing, Nick, except whereas in Toronto, I, I understand it's spread out amongst different theaters uh, the Sundance Film Festival is in Park City, Utah, which is a very tiny skiing community. And when they have the film festival, pretty much the entire town is taken over by people from out of town who are there just to see movies. So that whole standing in line culture where everybody's there to see a movie and is talking about what they've seen and what they want to see, it applies to the hotel, to the bus, to walking between theaters, to getting a sandwich at the subway. Uh, it's that same thing, but compacted and taking over this little tiny skiing village. Right. I love that vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. Although I, t- I, I must confess for all the opportunity that I had to go to the Toronto Film Festival, I, I didn't take advantage of it as much as I could have because I just hate standing in line. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's, can you remember a cool movie you saw at a Toronto Film Festival? I only saw one and it was Bubba Hotep. Um, you could do worse. Was, it was a midnight, they have, I think it's called Midnight Madness or something like that, where they show a movie at midnight, and that's the one that I saw. And it's usually like a crazy genre movie, like... Yeah, like a horror, or, yeah, something like that, yeah. Now, are you down with the director of Bubba Hotep? Do you know who that guy is? I don't. I can't remember. I have, that guy had a huge impact on my childhood, and I, you know, I, I'm going to sound like the guy who always has to top someone else's story, so I apologize for <laughs> okay. Uh, Bubba Hotep was directed by a guy named Don Coscarelli, who uh, is, is known for a movie called Phantasm. Do you remember Phantasm? I've heard you speak of it, but I've never seen it. Oh, Phantasm holds up. So I, so Kelly Wand, who I do the podcast with, recently forced me to watch some horrible 1979 horror movie 
called The Visitor, which was terrible. And I, I was like, why am I watching this? But from, from that time, there's a movie called Phantasm, which holds up every bit as well as like modern horror movies. Like Phantasm is great. Um, and this guy, Don Coscarelli, directed Phantasm. And I had this amazing opportunity here in Los Angeles. They'll do screenings at the Hollywood Cemetery sometimes where people show up and they they bring a picnic and you just hang. I mean, you talk about that line culture at a film festival. This is that same thing, but applied to all these people sprawled on a lawn at a cemetery having a picnic. And then when it gets dark, they screen a movie on the side of a mausoleum on the big white wall up there. That so, is awesome. It was amazing, and I got to see Phantasm there, which has a lot to do with a mausoleum. I don't want to spoil anything, but the director and one of the two of the actors were there to introduce it. And I came up to the director uh, and uh, Don Coscarelli, who did Bubba Hotep, and got to shake his hand. And I remember saying something like, um, "You know, you had a huge impact on my childhood because this was one of my first R-rated movies. It freaked me out as a kid." And he said something like, uh, "Something like." On your childhood? Well, that's that's not what I meant to do, and I apologize. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> so Bubba Hotep, by the way, is one of those examples where you're like, wow, Bruce Campbell's really good. Yes, yeah. And I, I used to watch him uh, on when he was on, um, oh, you know, the Xena, the Xena show and the Hercules show. Oh, right, right. He did TV, he did TV right. He did, yeah. And those were shows produced by Sam Raimi and, uh, and his producing partner, Rob Tappert. Um, and so they all know each other from doing Evil Dead, right? Um, so I think that's probably how Bruce Campbell got the gig to get on those shows. And then he was on another show after that, uh, some sort of swashbuckling pirate show that was like a half hour and it got canceled after like not even a full season. Uh, so yeah, I've been following him for a while. I love Bruce Campbell. Well, now wait, Sam Raimi had something to do with those Xena Warrior Princess? TV yeah, shows? absolutely. He was like the executive producer. Can you see any of that sort of playfulness or any of his influence in the TV shows? Uh, I think, yeah, the TV shows, um, they were pretty, I, I, I really liked them at the time, but now when I kind of look back at them, they don't really hold up. Okay. <laughs> um, but they had a lot of kind of, they sort of alternated between really serious sort of drama for a fantasy with like crazy sort of slapstick juvenile humor. And so there's there's a little bit of that that I could sort of see coming from Sam Raimi. But in terms of like stylistic choices, um, not really. I don't think he ever directed an episode. Okay. Now, did yeah. you see uh, Drag Me to Hell? Uh, I haven't seen it, no. Man, I was so disappointed in that. I, I don't know if you really? enjoy it. I just... I, I just sort of feel like we lost Sam Raimi somewhere along the line. It was kind of sad. A lot well, of people dug it, though. Uh, yeah, I remember watching The Gift, um, mm -hmm. and I remember reading some great quote that's saying, watching watching The Gift is like watching uh, a, a, a concert pianist play chopsticks. You know, he, <laughs> he gets every note right, and it's perfect, but it's chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> now, is it, the gift is also so. Isn't that famous for two things? One, Keanu Reeves not being terrible, uh, and two, right. and I hate to go here because we, we sound like a couple dudes in a locker room. But two, isn't that the one where, where Katie Holmes is 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 bereft of a shirt at one point? <laughs> yes. All right. I I, don't, I wouldn't. I just heard that. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> Maybe maybe that happens. I'm not sure. Yeah, if so, it didn't make any impression on me. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, you you are a uh, you're a, a very I appreciate your support for our podcast. One of the cool things that I notice is that when we do a three by three, 
you seem to have been mulling over our topic. You know, every week we talk about a movie and then we we do a list of something like the best uses of eggs. That was actually one we did. The best uses of eggs right. in a movie. And you always like come in pretty quickly with a with a pretty thoughtful list. So I, I presume you're kind of into this whole idea of like cataloging movies in your mind and coming up with lists. You you seem to be you seem to totally be in tune with us on that way of like thinking about movies. Well, I'll tell you, I I love that you guys make those lists because uh, you it's the podcast. It's the only place I've come across where you guys kind of see lists the same way as I do, <laughs> which is which is to say that uh, you take them sort of seriously, but not too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 by that I mean, you know, if you ask someone to make a list of their top three movies or whatever, uh, usually people will come in with like five or ten, or something. <laughs> <laughs> which is which to me is sort of not the point. I mean, the idea is to to kind of hone your analytical thinking about what what you like about movies and what you what you don't like about movies and and trying to ranking them is kind of the point um but at the same time it, it is kind of silly to to rank movies and put numbers on them so that's that's i really like the the sort of attitude and the playfulness that you guys come at it with and because i sh- i totally share that that attitude now I've, I've always felt nick that that a list whether you're talking about a movie or songs or games should be just as much about the person as as the subject matter. Like making a list is a very personal subjective thing that reveals a lot about the person making the list as, as well as the topic. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I think so. And I, and the thing is, I think lists are kind of transient as well. Like if I were to make a top, my favorite movie, right, right this instant, it would, well, I don't know if I could pick that, but but it would be different five seconds later because mm-hmm. I changed my mind. But that's okay. I, I had a girlfriend who was a huge Beatles fan, and her one of her like weekly routines was at the beginning of the week make a list of her favorite Beatles songs, <laughs> and it would always change, <laughs> and it would have to do with like what kind of mood she was in or or what was going on in her life. But uh, yeah, absolutely, that idea that a list is also a snapshot of a very specific point in time. Yeah. Can yep. can you? So you you obviously love movies like me. And every now and then somebody might ask you, what, what's your favorite movie? Can, you can't answer that, can you? Well, yeah. I usually say I can't answer that. <laughs> but if I had to pick it, I don't know. I usually, just to end the conversation, I usually say aliens because that often shuts them up. Because <laughs> <laughs> they know that you're a dork and they don't want to go down that road. <laughs> well, and and most people love that movie too. So, you know, it's understandable. Right. If I if I say some some bizarre thing like night moves, which we were just talking about on the forum, right? Uh, they probably wouldn't know what I was talking about. That that'll also end the conversation, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but not in the way that you want it to. Yeah. Right. Now, uh, uh, you haven't been able to see a lot of movies lately because of something that I I promise I'll bring up in a second because I want to hear about it. But yep. uh, do you do your top like movies of the year? Is that something? Do do you think of movies by the year? Uh, I sort of do. I'm, I, I'm used to making a top 10 list of movies. Um, what was your favorite? What I'm getting at is what was your favorite movie last year? Would you be able Winter's to Bone? It? Winter's Bone was my favorite last now, year. Now you're just copying my list. You can't do that. I, you, you, were, you were copying me. I, I made my list. <laughs> <laughs> you really, read my blog, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> now, had you seen, uh, uh, wait, 
I'm, I'm screwing up. Did she do Down to the Bone with Vera Farmiga? I'm forgetting what her previous movie was. It wasn't it Down to the Bone with Vera Farmiga, or is that the Frozen River director? The, I think that's the Frozen River director. What was? But, the... I, but to be honest, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie that uh, that. What's the director's name? Deborah Granick. Yes. Uh, I haven't seen the movie she made before that because honestly. Uh, I found Winter's Bone through you guys. I mean, if I'm being totally honest, I thought I was a movie buff before I joined Quarter to Three, and I realized that you guys are way beyond. Well, <laughs> you just have access to so many more cool things than I do. I was going to say, we, we definitely enjoy an unfair geographic advantage. That's one of the cool <laughs> things about living in L.A. is, uh, yeah. So. Uh, so you haven't been able to see a lot of movies lately because you've been very busy with something else. What are the names of the two things you've been very busy with in the last year and a half? It's my two twin sons, uh, and their names are Zachary and Alexander. Those are both awesome names. I know. I, I love them both. Yeah. And I love them because they're twins. They're both awesome names just by themselves, but also they're at opposite ends of the alphabet. Oh, that is so cool, Nick. So Man, I wish so, you... I wish you were my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when they when it comes time for them to go to school, they're not going to be always together, which is kind of important to me. I want them to to kind of develop their own identities, uh, you know, because twins so often are dressed the same and they're just mm -hmm. referred to as the twins and they're always together. And we kind of both my wife and I don't want that to happen. Now, tell us about the difference between are they I presume they're not identical. They're fraternal twins, right? That's right. Yep. And, and tell us what that means. Well, it means uh, like you want the science behind it. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> so they, they don't look like each other. They're not That's like right. they're not like the Winklevoss twins in uh, in social network. Like they're, they're not the same dudes. Right. Right. Although, Tom, that was only one guy. I, I don't know. If you I know don't that. believe that people. Have been, I, that's so fake. I, fake. Fake. <laughs> Let me tell you, any movie that does frost coming out of somebody's mouth that poorly can't possibly pull off one actor playing two roles. Uh, <laughs> did you know that, by the way, about the Winklevoss twins? Uh, I didn't. I didn't until I saw the credits. It's uncanny. It's really right. well done. All right. Well, that's fake twins. Tell me about real twins. So these guys yes. were born at the same time, but they don't look exactly alike. Right. That's what fraternal twins are. That's right. So, the, I mean, the way the the way it works is identical twins happen when there's one egg which splits in two. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually comes from like the same genes or whatever, whereas fraternal twins are two eggs. Um, I think most people know that. But, you know, that's what happens. And so they, they were they were they were born together. Um and my wife was very uncomfortable <laughs> during pregnancy <laughs> because they were very big, healthy boys when they were born. Um, and um, and but they don't really look anything like each other. But what's interesting is that it's not a clean cut case of one looks like me and one looks like my wife. They both kind of have uh, aspects of both of us, which is really cool. And they're also you said they're they're one and a half years old. That's right. Yep. Yeah, so you'll see they'll and and you're only getting like the preview right now for what they'll look like. Like as absolutely, they, yeah. Uh, so uh, these are, these are your first kids. These are our first. That's right. Yeah. So tell me, walk me through what it's like. So what, what's your wife's first name, if I may ask? Well, okay, you're not going to believe this if I tell you. Um, her name is uh, Nicola. <laughs> So, you know, we only need to get one set of monogrammed towels. We actually have the same middle initial as well. That is so adorable. Now, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining a feisty Russian woman. <laughs> no, actually, she's a, a very calm British woman. Like accent and everything? 
she 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 came to Canada when she was uh, nine, I think, and uh, so she has a Canadian accent, except when she's talking to her parents, and that's, then Liverpool accent comes right on strong. That, that's kind of awesome, Nick. I'm high fiving you. It's great. It's really great, and I kind of she's kind of self conscious about it too. So it's really funny when we're with friends and she calls her parents, and we all kind of like quiet down and listen to the. Accent. <laughs> <laughs> now I, I want you to talk to talk me through what it's like so uh you know you, you and nicola you're married you got the house you find out she's pregnant at what point do you realize wait a minute these are going to be twins how does that work uh i think we found out pretty early on um and uh we were we had a lot of time to get used to it um so you know uh yeah we <laughs> I, I, I sort of was mentally prepared by the time they were born. And you say it was uh, like, I guess it twins take up twice as much room. So it was particularly uncomfortable for her, you said. Yeah. Oh, yes. She was uh, I think I think after she gave birth, she lost about 50 pounds just through all the babies <laughs> and excess stuff that's in there. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> tell me, describe for me something different about Alexander and and Zachary, like what's something that you notice that is different about the two of them at this point? Like, can you tell which one of them is going to be the bruiser and which one of them is going to be the, the brainier dude? Can you, can you see that yet? Uh, a little bit. They, they sort of, they tell me that their personalities aren't fully developed yet, but mm. I kind of dispute that because they, to me, their personalities are so strong that, um, I don't know. It just seems obvious. Zachary is, is more, um, outgoing around people. He'll walk right up to you, he'll smile, he'll laugh, he'll giggle, uh, whereas Alex is a lot shyer. But Alex is more uh, outgoing when it comes to nature and exploring. Like, he'll, if you take him to the park, he'll just start walking in a direction and not come back. <laughs> whereas Zach will kind of stay closer and he's a bit more nervous that way. So they're, they're brave and shy in different ways. Zach is definitely bigger. He's, he's a giant kid. I think he's like 95th percentile in all of the sort of milestones. Wow. Um, yeah. And Alex is just sort of normal sized. <laughs> okay. I'm going to make a prediction right now, Nick, you ready for this? Yes. Here you go. If I was a fortune teller, I would tell you that Zach is going to be a football star turned politician and Alexander is going to be a, a sort of like a scientist adventurer like like Indiana Jones. <laughs> I'd be happy with either of those. <laughs> uh, so you obviously have not been able to see a lot of movies or probably your gaming time has been stolen in bits and pieces, you know, snatches here and there with the one and a half year, year olds around. Am I correct? Movies, yes, because it's hard to leave the house. But um Pretty much since they were about four months old, I've had my gaming time back, which is good. Now, I, I can tell you, movie-wise, in maybe a couple years, you, Nick, are going to get to see so many animated children's films, it won't even be funny. <laughs> you, you are going to be so up on, on that type of filmmaking, I bet. You'll, you'll have seen like a movie just started called Hop, which I didn't know anything about until I saw how well it did at the box office. You will be the guy who knows all about those movies. I know. It's luckier that I really like animation. <laughs> uh, so what uh, you have been able to spend some time gaming. One of the things you mentioned earlier that I want to hear about is that you call yourself, I, I think you, you think of yourself as kind of a wannabe strategy gamer. Like you're not really into strategy games, but you kind of wish you were like the other cool kids. Is, is that right? <laughs> uh, it's sort of. I, I, I'm just really... 
I when I see them, I'm really I want to play them because the idea of them is so cool. But when I actually go to play, I'm just so bad <laughs> that I don't I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't I don't I don't I don't understand what you guys are talking about. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you what what strategy games have you tried where you're like and they've bounced off of you? Uh, so I think the closest I got to really getting them is playing StarCraft II just uh, just recently. Um, that's a pretty hardcore one, Nick. Like that's nothing to sneeze at. I know, and I, I, I mean, I made through the campaign, you know, and that was fine, and the story is whatever. It's high, you know, it's polished, and the games are fine. And then I started going onto the multiplayer, which is built right in, um, and it's it it's just so different. Um, than playing the campaign mode. It's, I think, like a campaign mode game will last half an hour, but a, an online multiplayer game will is like ten minutes as long. <laughs> yep. Uh, and it seems like it's all just about this. Uh, you know, I went online into the forum, I think, and asked for advice. And <laughs> How did that go? <laughs> <laughs> they were great, actually. Um, okay. Uh, I think oh, you're talking about the quarter to three. I, yeah, me, yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were thinking of the Blizzard forums. I was like, oh, don't, don't go in there, Nick. Yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not ready for that. Right. So some uh, of the folks on quarter to three can be very helpful, and they can they can definitely speak English, which is isn't the case with a lot of hardcore StarCraft players. So, yeah, I think Reldan helped me out a lot. Uh -huh. um, but anyway, I, you know, you learn the opening moves. Uh, what are they called? The nine patch or something? I don't know. Nine pool. So you're playing nine pool. Or, that's the one. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's if you're playing Zerg. And so I was playing Marines and you learn these different openings, you know, you block off your ramp and then you build two barracks and pump out Marines and you, you have to build your, your, uh, your supply depots, is, you know, at the right time. Yep. And it just got so stressful. Um, it seemed like it was, you were, you were just racing to do this, these, opening moves at the same speed as your opponent and whoever got to a certain critical mass first would would win and that and sort of that's the end and it never i think i was just i never made it past the point where you're both making it through that opening segment into the part of the game that is really about the strategy um so yeah it, it just became too stressful and i realized i wasn't having fun you're not alone, Nick. And actually, I think like for all of the great work that Blizzard has done making StarCraft II, I, I think it's not a good strategy game for a fellow like you to approach. And even for me, because you reach that point where you realize, look, I'm, I'm not playing a strategy game so much as I'm playing an eSport, a really shrewdly designed competitive eSport. And unless I put in the, the, the practice and the drills and you know, when, when people, when athletes do a sport, I'm out of my element here trying to describe this, but when athletes do a sport, they have to like train for them and practice and condition themselves. And, and StarCraft II, to really get into the meat of the gameplay, demands that kind of devotion. Uh, so I think it's not a good choice for, for a fellow like you. Like a single-player campaign is very inviting, and it's, uh, it, you know, it's got plenty of cool stuff to play with. But once you try to transition to the completely different gameplay of multiplayer matches i just think you're you're in a tough place uh, so i i'm similar to you in that i you know i powered through learning those different opening moves i could get to the point where i could do a little bit of mid-game stuff but everything from there just kind of depended on what the other guy was doing and like it's sort of like i had three different strategies and i would randomly pick one 
And depending on what strategy the other guy did, I was either going to win or lose based on how those two strategies match. I never really got to the point where I could adapt or really push the gameplay systems. And uh, it's it's a tough call. Uh, like, yeah. Um, what made you pick that up? Well, I I really I did play the original StarCraft, although I never played online with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I picked it just because it seemed. Uh, it seemed kind of mainstream, I guess. Uh, and so I figured it was, it would stick to sort of standard things that most strategy games did. Um, I've since learned that it's more, you know, most strategy games have moved on (laughs) since the original Starcraft. And this is like a blast from the past. Um, I did play uh, company of heroes and I tried to play Dawn of war way back when those came out. (laughs) Right. Um, because I was, I, I used to play uh, Warhammer 40k tabletop stuff. Oh, you are such a dork! Look at that. Did you paint miniatures, Nick? Have you, had, I, have you ever painted a miniature? I, I did. I do. I, well, I don't anymore. <laughs> you know, you just got outed. You do. You just uh, well, had presidents. <laughs> you probably have a garage full of miniatures, and you and Abelio Carvalho email each other all the time about what color you're going to paint your Death Grip 59th Emperor's Legion's shields, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I There was a period of my life where I was really into it, and I bought minis, and I painted them, but I, I only had sort of one friend who played it with me, and I was kind of more into painting the miniatures than actually playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> models as a kid like is it was it part of that whole thing um not really it's this is the it's the only game of that sort that i've ever really been into and i think it's it's that i just sort of like the world more than anything else okay um so and but the kind of craftiness of it the artisticness uh appealed to me as well but I, i i was i was not really all that good at it so i have this case filled with painted miniatures down in the basement that i just can't bear to throw out because it took so much work to to actually get them into that final state are they all warhammer things they're war yeah it's warhammer stuff it's like one space marine army it i don't have nearly the same amount as some people i know right uh, and I, I think Nick, that that is that because you kind of have that appreciation for the craft of these cool little toys, I think that's part of what it takes to enjoy an RTS because RTSs are partly about showing you that kind of gameplay, but showing you those toys in action. Like those little animated soldiers come alive and they fight other animated soldiers. So I, I think that's part of the sort of the, the, the makeup that's required to appreciate an RTS. And I think that that's always been what's appealed to the, like the idea of an RTS has always appealed to me in the, it's almost the role playingness of it. Um, kind of imagining yourself as the commander uh, in this world and, you know, they're very, they're immersive in their own way. Um, so, and, and maybe that is the wrong thing to attract one to an RTS. No, no, not at all. I think that's a, it's a tremendous thing to attract. I mean, that, that's a huge part of the appeal. Uh, you, you know, what we learn as kids about playing with soldiers and making our own soldiers and imagining ourselves in charge of an army and the, the spectacle of battle. It's, that's a huge reason to come to RTSs. But I think a game like StarCraft, which has more of an emphasis on the esports and the skill element, uh, doesn't, it doesn't resonate as strongly with, with that part of what's into RTS, of what appeals to us about RTSs. Now, have you played a lot of Company of Heroes? Uh, not, not, 
I I wouldn't say that I remember much about it. I, okay. it, I kind of played through, I, th- I think, most of the campaign um, with making liberal use of the pause key. Um, <laughs> uh, but that was years ago. I can't remember when it came out, but uh, what, like five years ago or something like that? Maybe even more. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, well, you know what? That that sounds about right. Five, because it's, it's 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 and I'm doing air quotes. It's an old game, like Company of Heroes. Uh, right. But, yeah. So now you you also you you seem to not be very. You seem to be sort of genre agnostic. Like you have your fingers in all kinds of gaming pies, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, I would say that. Yeah. What What have you? What's been grabbing your attention lately? Uh, I just finished playing Darksiders on the PS3. Interesting. Hold that thought, because uh, yeah. I want to bring that up in, in relation to what we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, yeah, so I just finished playing that. Um, for uh, Before that, pretty much since uh, November of last year, I was playing World of Warcraft. Um, oh, God, Nick. I know, I know. All I got right, sucked whatever. in. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> hey, you did it too, so you're not- able to not get sucked in somehow. I don't know how you do that. Do you really, like, do you really, like, have a hard time not... Not like you're addicted, but do you really like for me, it is nothing to stop playing World of Warcraft. I can play it. I can be entertained, but it just takes I can turn it off so easily. Uh, Does it really grab you? Uh, It did this time, uh, I think, because uh, it was the very first time that I had got a character to the end game. Um, Ah, Right. So there was a a bunch of new stuff to kind of experience. And uh, I, I also had a guild with some real life friends who I haven't seen in a long time. So it was kind of an excuse to hang out with them most nights. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so that was cool. But uh, there, it was definitely fun. Um, but I kind of reached a point where there was not a lot left to do. And uh, I have such a huge backlog of other games to play that I can't really justify spending a monthly subscription while those go unplayed. So, so you, you did you did cancel your subscription, right? I did, yeah. Did you delete your characters? <laughs> no. Right. Oh, I don't know if I could bear to do that. <laughs> I was just I was just talking to a friend of mine who had to do that in order to I think he said to save my marriage, I had to delete my characters. <laughs> now, you may not want to tell your friend this, but characters are never really deleted. Like if you delete your character, <laughs> Blizzard is more than happy to turn it back on for you so you can play again. I know, I know. But I think you have to pay to make that happen, don't you? I wouldn't be surprised because they know you're going to. If you get to the point where you decide you want your character back, they probably know they can charge you for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned that you, uh, you've you got a backlog. Let me right now, if I may, help you decide what to play next. What things okay. are you looking at? So you finished Darksiders. You're like, okay, what should I play next? What's, what's vying for your time right now? Well, uh, so I bought a bunch of games on the Steam sale at Christmas. Those are, uh, and- those are deadly, aren't they? Steve they Steve. are. Yeah, they are. Uh, so, And there's kind of a blend of sort of AAA stuff and little cool indie titles in there. Um, mm-hmm. So so the first one that I tried to tackle out of those was the Dragon Age 1 expansion, Dragon Age Awakenings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of got bored. Okay. In fact, um, and this is so weird, uh, but I while I was playing that, I kind of started wanting to replay Mass Effect 2. <laughs> I don't know why. And so I'm playing that right now uh, with some downloadable content that I never made it through the first time. Nick, you've um, already played it once. Why are you what you're ter- what you're not going to get to your backlog playing Mass Effect 2 a second time? I know, but the thing is like last year I faced the same problem when I had bought a bunch of games on the Steam sale and I found myself sort of 
rushing through games, like feeling guilty that that there was these games that I had bought that I hadn't made it through. And so I was rushing through them and I realized I wasn't having fun playing that way. So now I just try and go where my feelings take me. You know, you know, another way that you're not going to have fun playing these new games is by not actually playing them <laughs> and instead playing games that you've already played once. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Tom, the first time I played Mass Effect 2, mm-hmm. I was disappointed by it because, you know, at first I was so thrilled. I was, you know, the you know, you're recruiting these people, you're building up to this big mission. Oh, wow, you get to go and fight the collectors and you meet Ashley Williams and isn't it great? And oh, and I have to recruit five more people? Really? I'm going to keep doing this? Okay. Um, and I think what it was that disappointed me the first time was... I, sort of I had the wrong expectations going in like I thought that the okay. story was leading in a different way and so and so this time now that I know where it's going I'm kind of just taking pleasure in the story for what it is um, you know what that, that's a very fair point Nick and it almost sounds to me what it's like when you watch a movie a second time like the first time you watch a movie it's all new and there's a sense of discovery that can get in the way of the the closer study or, or watching the movie more closely. So the second time you watch it, with that thrill of discovery kind of removed, uh, you have different eyes for it. And and we rarely appreciate games that way. That's kind of a good point. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I I'm also playing this time as the as a female shepherd instead of a male shepherd. And I think the voice actor is a little bit better. So that's, that's what I hear. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, well, then I'm, I can't help you with your backlog if you've already made up your mind. <laughs> well, that's not going to take me too long. I'm almost done that. So, so let me. Okay, what, what should I do? Should I go PC or should I go console? Both. Come on, All I'm right. agnostic. All right. I'm okay. platform agnostic. There's no difference between the two, as far so as so I've got. Here's the one that I think I'll. It's between these two. It's between Assassin's okay. Creed Two. Okay. Or Bayonetta. Now, Assassin's Creed Two Brotherhood or Assassin's Creed Two. Just Assassin's Creed Two. So what what do you know about Bayonetta? Uh, I know that it's kind of a God of War clone, but not really a clone. Like different, like very stylish and sort of sexy and uh, yeah. Now, have you played a lot of like fighting games like God of War and, and Devil May Cry? Have you did you ever get into any of those? I played God of War one. I have the God of War collection for the PS3, so I have I, I actually have God of War three as well. It's sitting in the backlog too, so I've got a bunch of those. But I kind of like to intersperse those with other things because if right. I just do like God of War two and then three and then Bayonetta and something else like it, I get bored of that. Right. So okay. yeah, but I but but Bayonetta I've heard is great. So yeah. All right, I I'm officially uh, making my recommendation as a professional games journalist is capital g capital j i am officially <laughs> writing for you a prescription right now to play bayonetta okay uh, Bay- Bay- and especially if you haven't like if you're not sort of burned out on that whole god of war thing bayonetta i think does that formula so much better than than actual god of war and it also uh, the the approaches it takes to the storyline and the storytelling and and how completely off the wall and at times incomprehensible, and at other times poignant it gets, I heartily recommend that you go straight to Bayonetta. As a matter of fact, delete your current saved game on Mass Effect, uninstall that <laughs> thing, and just go straight to Bayonetta. That's my, that's my advice for you.
So. All right, I'll bump it up in the queue. <laughs> uh, Bayonetta, by the way, uh, is a game like I loved it, and I never got to the end. It's like one of those games I was really digging playing, and I kind of didn't want it to end. And eventually, I drifted on to other things. So I don't, I don't know what happens at the end of Bayonetta, but I at some point keep meaning to go back and find out. Uh, See, that's another way that you and I are different. I can't put a game down until I've finished it. Ah, that's well, part, you know that's part of the reason why my backlog is so long. <laughs> I, I part for me, uh, if I don't have a review assignment, like I never was was got an assignment from someone, you know, play Bayonetta, I write the review. So it was kind of something I was doing in my spare time. But most of the time I have to like I feel the need to power through to the end so that I can write about it. But but because I didn't have an assignment for Bayonetta, I kind of had the quote unquote luxury of not having to finish it, which sucks. Like it, that sort of thing nags at me. So, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, that's now, so you've established your, your video gaming bona fides. Uh, why on earth when you're, when you're asked, okay, Nick, let's do a podcast. Let's talk about the game of, of choice. Well, you pick something you want to pick. Why on earth would a fellow with your bona fides pick a kitty game <laughs> like Legend of Zelda Wind Walker. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I've ever played a game called Legend of Zelda Wind Walker. Uh, I, I've, what... I've played a game called The Wind Waker, though. No. Is that, what, is that Could that be what you're talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Why would you wake the wind up? It's Wind Walker, just like you know Luke Skywalker. He's not Luke Skywaker. Luke Skywalker. Everybody knows. And the wind doesn't sleep. What's up with that? You write, It's about a sailboat. A sailboat sort of walks with the wind. You're, I, did I did I forget to mention to you that I'm a professional games journalist, capital G, <laughs> capital J? Well, I should mention that I only play games with definite articles. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> All right. So why is it that you want to that you would mention this this kitty Zelda game, whatever we, we think, whatever your opinion is of the of the title? Uh, why would you pick this particular game? Um, I think. It, it kind of contains a lot of the things that brought me to games in the first place. Um, I, I, I was, I think, well, I, I, I've played all of the Zelda games since Link to the Past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, I think Wind Waker is my favorite. Um, Ocarina of Time is the one that everyone usually says is the one is the best. But, uh, I, well, and to be honest, I can't remember if I played... Uh, Ocarina of Time first, or if I played Wind Waker first, because I had Ocarina of Time uh, on that sort of uh, the the collector's edition GameCube disc, right. uh, because I never actually owned a Nintendo 64. Oh, um, you started with the original NES, but you skipped. Oh no, no, you skipped the uh, the 64. Wait, is that the SNES? I confused. Uh, yeah, I had the NES and the the SNES, uh, and then I skipped the Nintendo 64 and went straight to the GameCube because I, I think because uh, the 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 uh, Nintendo 64 came out while I was in university, um, and we were sort of poor students, and I had the Super NES, which was kind of in. Our, the living room of the little townhouse that my roommates and I shared, and we would play like Mario Kart on that uh, after we got home from class. And so that was like our video game kind of source. And then I also had my PC. So I sort of never felt the need to get a Nintendo 64, uh, yeah. and, and I kind of missed out on that. Um, so I probably don't have the same kind of nostalgia for Ocarina that others do, but um, 
Yeah, Wind Waker. Uh, it well, is now, real Wind quick. So, had had you played uh, had you played Zelda games earlier than that? I did. I played Link to the Past on the Super NES. I never played okay. the original NES game. Um, I've gone back since then and looked at it through emulators, and I just it's so dated that I can't really get into it. Right. Um, but but Link to the Past holds up remarkably well, actually. Um, if you can, I still can. I still sometimes can dig that out and play it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think at the time, um, I I was blown away by Link to the Past. So I had a lot of nostalgia for that, and Wind Waker really tapped into that. Now, um, for someone yeah. like a lot of the Zelda games, kind of run together for me. What was the distinguishing factor about Link to the Past? Uh, well, I don't know if it was if it had a distinguishing factor as much as it sort of uh, set the tone for the rest of the series. Um, Okay. It was top-down, so it wasn't 3D, right? And Ocarina, its big claim to fame was that it moved from top-down to 3D. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, you know, while basically it's the same game, you are a little boy, you uh, you have to save the princess, and in doing so you go through all these dungeons and you get a new item, and et cetera. That, that same sort of pattern is the same across all of them, right? Right. Um, Link to the Past, the, the puzzles were great. Uh, I think what I loved, what appealed to me most about it at the time when I was a kid was the the, the pacing of the game. Um, if I remember correctly, you start out, uh, you kind of, they, there's some establishing gameplay where you have to get into the castle and find out what you're supposed to do. And then you have to go, and there's three dungeons that you, that you have to do. And they're big dungeons, like... They're, they're, you know, they have lots of puzzles. There's a full boss. They're as big as anything else in the game. And at the time when I was a kid, I wasn't, I, I sort of didn't have the kind of game language uh, that I do now to be able to understand that there would be more to it after those three dungeons. <laughs> <laughs> so I finished the three dungeons, and then it directs me to this castle where I can now save the princess and. I fight the end boss, and suddenly I'm warped into this new world, and I see seven new dungeons to, to play. <laughs> and it's like, oh my god! And that sort of... Um, I think that is that is a trope of those games. I think Chrono Trigger did it really well. Um, I'm sure the Final Fantasy games do it really well. I, was never, I never really played the Final Fantasy games too much, but I know that they're big on taking you to new places that you've never seen before. Um, and, and so that, that was like mind blowing at the time. Um, so I just, I loved that game. And then, um, when I came to Wind Waker, it was, I think for me, it was the combination of that same kind of gameplay with the, the, the whole art and the style and the world that they had created in that game that really made it appeal to me. And now this was their, their, their sort of visual transition was to the cell shading, right? Is they went from right. 3D to this stylized cell shaded look. They did, and I mean the, you know the the complaint is at the time was that Zelda was being kidified, right? Um, he'd been turned into this tiny little kid, and it was just a little cartoon. Um, and I can't really argue with that, but I think that's kind of part of the appeal it's i think it's i think it's helped that game date um it still holds up today 
whereas if you look at Ocarina, it, it, I don't think it really has. Ah, right, uh, right. Um, and I think it, there's sort of a timeless quality to the just to the style that they were able to create. It was so fluid, and um, the the sort of the juxtaposition of this little kid and cartoony style with this massive sort of lonely um, s- flooded world with a style that was, I think, like, from artistically speaking, very sophisticated. Like, it reminds me of um, sort of those, like, a Miyazaki animated movie. Like, very nice. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, the the colors that you see and the sound of the ocean and the wind when you're by yourself on the sea uh, is just amazing. I really, really dug that. Um, it was It was so... Uh, so immersive, I guess. I hate to use that word, but uh, it was just—it re- was really kind of serene um, and peaceful, sailing around on the ocean with the wind know, blowing and the sound of the waves. And and that also, you you mentioned before the pacing of the Zelda games. They tended to be so carefully paced, and uh, and it, it didn't necessarily feel manipulative, but there was always like something new. And and the, in that great pacing, a lot of times it cannot breathe like like i think great pacing is tension release tension release tension release that's the sort of best way to do it some games are just more about tension you know like the call of duty thing there's always some big set piece but it seems to me like wind walker was so good about (laughs) leaving that that time of release you mentioned the solitude and the size of the world like would you say that it was a new kind of pacing for for the zelda i think i think so i think um I think that the, yeah, there w- there wasn't anything really like that in Link to the Past or in Ocarina. I think Ocarina might have had it a little bit, uh, as you kind of ride around in a big right. field, but uh, it was nothing like Wind Waker, uh, the sailing in Wind Waker. And I know a lot of people found the sailing tedious, uh, especially when it took so long to get from one place to to the next. <laughs> but uh, but I actually really like that aspect of the game. Uh, I like it for how huge it makes the world seem. Um, I think one, once you've established the, the sort of vastness of the place, it makes discovering the shortcuts to get around in the world all that much more exciting. Um, it reminds me of a game, um, Star Control 2, that I think you did a podcast on ah, last very nice. Uh, where you'd have to actually sail or fly your ship from planet to planet. It would take, it could take like 15 minutes to sail across the map. And Wind Waker was the same. And I I just, I think like these days, I could not imagine a game like Mass Effect uh, making you actually fly across the galaxy and in real time. Well, and I think that's a, that's a loss. I mean, this sense of geography of places mattering and of distance being a factor uh, in the, in the sake of, you know, we mentioned pacing again, I think game developers think, Oh, I, I need better pacing. You know, I need, you know, the player has to be able to instantly get across the solar system if he wants to. And I, I think that's kind of a loss because it robs a game universe of its sense of place. Uh, I totally agree. And I think that, uh, that vastness and the, the world that the, this character has been dropped in, um, kind of worked really well with the kidified sort of style, um, because you're you're a kid uh, by yourself in this boat in the middle of the ocean. I mean, that's a lot more kind of scary and threatening 
than it would be if you were an adult in a boat. You know, um, I have to say there, there's definitely some kind of I, I don't know if I'm getting too highfalutin here, but that definitely sounds like some a, a slightly sophisticated metaphor <laughs> there. Uh, <laughs> Could be, <laughs> but I think I mean there's definitely a uh, you know I, I replayed the the little intro part to that game yesterday, mm-hmm. um, and there's there's definitely some kind of silly sort of Saturday morning cartoon stuff going on in those opening cutscenes. Um, it's very Japanese. It's sort of you know, there's these exaggerated uh, sort of gestures from the characters, and uh, there's the body language of your mother as you leave home, and she's sort of bowing her head, and she's all sad. And uh, and that there's a strange sort of cognitive dissonance between that uh, very kind of childish animation, uh, the, the cutscene stuff and the storytelling with the world that they drop you in, which is kind of mysterious and forlorn and, 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 and kind of scary. And the music and the, the sound effects are all, all play that up really, really well. So I, I, I definitely, I totally understand the people who say they didn't really like the kidified stuff, but I think I kind of just play along for the slapstick stuff. And then once it gets to the to exploring the world, uh, that's that's where I really kind of buy in. Well, your your mention of Miyazaki, I think, is really relevant. Like, I, I think the kind of person who might complain about Windwalker having the kidified thing might be the kind of person who doesn't like, for instance, My Neighbor Totoro. You know that, that movie. Yeah, um, yeah. Actually, Tom, I'm going to. Uh, there's a movie that that uh, Wind Waker really reminded me of the first time I played it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to tell you who's in the movie. Okay. And you have to tell me what the movie is. Awesome. I'm there. Ready? Yep. Okay. So this movie stars Jeff Bridges, Christopher Lee, and Mia Farrow. What? (laughs) Jeff Bridges, Christopher Lee, and Mia Farrow. (laughs) I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of cheating here. It's an animated movie. Oh, so it's something that, so is it a Miyazaki movie that they brought over here and they got famous voice actors or something? It's, it's actually, it's, it's sort of that. Um, and this is going to seem a bit strange, but when I was a kid, I watched a movie called The Last Unicorn. What? (laughs) <laughs> it's an it, it's an animated movie. It was made by Rankin Bass, the same what? guys who made that uh, that Hobbit uh, yeah, animated course. movie. Right. This sounds terrible, um, Nick. You're not. It's, it is. Ahead. It hasn't dated at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, it was this weird collaboration between Rankin Bass and a Japanese animation studio who I I can't remember the name of. Um, and it's based on a fantasy novel by Peter S. Beagle. Um, and it has this kind of cheesy 80s sort of pop score uh, right. with, like, sort of uh, musical interludes. Um, and and the, the story basically involves this unicorn who's who has to save the rest of her kind who've been trapped in the sea. <laughs> and so there's a lot of animation uh, of the ocean. Um, okay. And the way that they, they animated the ocean and the waves um, really reminded me of the way the ocean and the waves are in Wind Waker. You know, sometimes as you're sailing along, the ocean is really rough and it's filled with white caps and there's sort of a, a, a kind of a sort of a upbeat musical march that's going along with you. And then the sun sets and there's a rainstorm blows in and the, you know, the sky takes on this sort of strange, uh, 
kind of salmon sort of sunsetty color and and the the waves get more sort of humpy and and billowing and <laughs> it, it it really it really reminded me of the, of that style of animation and the style right. of animation is uh, it's kind of strange it's sort of this weird blend of Japanese style and American style sort of Saturday morning cartoon stuff and uh, I don't think the movie holds up but but it was a big favorite of mine when I was a kid so of course it reminded me of that when I played the game. That's awesome. Now, and I have to tell you, as you're describing the world of, of Wind Walker, it's reminding me of another game that I love, that I'm curious if you played, that also was criticized for the open world being tedious, but I just think it's a different kind of pacing that some people can't appreciate, but that I thought was brilliant. Did, did you play Far Cry 2 by any chance? I did play that. Yeah, because um, a lot of people were like, "I don't want to drive everywhere, and I have to go by these checkpoints that respawn." And uh, but I think Far Cry too. You know, listening to you talk about the different the state of the ocean at different times, uh, you know, in, in Last Unicorn and in Windwalker, I can't help but think of the the weather effects in Far Cry too, and how different areas kind of looked like a different part of Africa. And I just loved that that sense in Far Cry too. Yeah, that was definitely a high point of Far Cry too. I agree. Uh, and it had geography. Like in Far Cry 2, it mattered if you took a mission where the destination was over here, as opposed to a mission where the destination was here next to you, as opposed to across the, the map from you. Uh, and the jungle would take on different kind of qualities depending on which part of it you were driving through. Right, right. And, like the, the yeah. light. I mean, the, the light in the air looked different at different times. And I, I love games that do that. Uh, another geography game that I just want to bring up that I don't think they could make these days because people would be, wow, it's taking me too long to get to someplace. Uh, Sid Meier's uh, The Pirates remake. I was totally going to bring that up too. I agree. Uh, yeah. I beat you to it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Windwalker have this idea too of the wind was blowing a certain way? So like you could you could like you could be discouraged from going to certain places because you'd have to go upwind if I'm not mistaken, right? Well, you did, that's true. Although um, the wind the wind waker is this little wand that you can wave to change the direction of the wind. Oh, it's a, the name of the. <laughs> You know, I'm realizing my confusion because I played it and I just don't remember a lot of specifics. So <laughs> Link, Link is not the guy walking on the wind. The title refers to a wand that wakes the wind up. That's right. Yeah. Although I don't know what you're talking about uh, uh, with some someone named Link. There's this game star is a character named Cynic. I don't know. What, I... <laughs> nice try. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure his name was Tom. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so the the wand. So okay, this wand steers the wind basically. It makes it easier for you to get around. Is that the idea? It, it, well, I mean, you you can base. I think you could basically uh, you wave your wand. You it's it, it plays a little song. Uh, you, you sort of wield it like a conductor's baton, and you conduct a melody, much in the same way that you would play a tune on the ocarina in Ocarina right. of Time. And uh, and then there's so there's a certain tune that you can conduct, uh, which allows you to change the wind to one of the eight cardinal compass directions. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so, you know, if you had to go kind of sort of north northwest, you would blow the wind northwest and, and sail that way. Now, wasn't there also a hearty sort of fishing, collecting sub game going on? I mean, that's always, I guess, been a part of the Zelda games, though. It, it definitely was. Um, it, 
I don't, I don't think I ever really finished all of them. Um, I think what I liked about them was the fact that you would just sort of happen upon them in the middle of the ocean. Like on the, on your way to an Island, you would come across this sort of floating barge and you could go inside and there were some monsters and a chest and you'd find this sort of feather or something, which is part of the collectibles. So I liked that the world was kind of interspersed with all of those things and you could just run across stuff on your way to somewhere else. Um, but I never really, I, I don't think I had the patience to go across the whole world finding everything. Right. Now, you, you mentioned uh, so facetiously that uh, you don't think of Link as the hero, like you sort of put yourself in there. Do you, what, what's your problem with that dude? <laughs> well, I, I, I just, they, they, they always give you the chance to rename your your guy right at the start of the game. I never picked Link as the default. <laughs> You're sounding a little bit like a robot, by the way there, Tom. Is that any better? Yes, a little bit. Yep. All right. Uh, okay, so do you end up rescuing Zelda? Tell us what, well, how does Zelda figure into Wind Waker? Uh, so, well, so this is one of the most interesting things about Wind Waker. I think it's one of the only Zelda games which actually uh, honestly referenced the game that came before it. Um, ah, you know, usually the, the Zelda games is just like a total retread uh, with no... It's not a, like Twilight Princess wasn't a sequel of any kind. It was just right. a whole new adventure, but the same patterns, we, we all recognize them, but there's no sort of story connecting them. But in Wind Waker, there was. Uh, you kind of get the sense that the world from, uh, I guess, Ocarina of Time was has been flooded, and eventually, as you make your way through... Um, you get the opportunity to go down to the bottom of the ocean. And when you get to the bottom of the ocean, you find this castle, which is the castle from Ocarina of Time. And it's filled with all these frozen monsters who, if you know, and if you've seen a movie, you know they're come, going to come alive at some point. <laughs> um, which they do. And, and so you have to go down there, and it's down there that you wind up meeting... Oh, wait... I think the, the little pirate girl who is traveling with you turns out to be the princess or the, or like an, a descendant of the princess or something like that. Ah, sneaky. Yes, yes. So so I love that part. Um, the art direction of that undersea world was absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's just uh, it's sort of this strange kind of monochrome gray uh, world where every, it looks like everything's been turned to stone and then the monsters still suddenly come alive and you have to fight your way back out. It's very neat. Now, Link is, uh, I think, before Gordon Freeman. Isn't Link the one of the original uh, annoyingly mute protagonists? <laughs> he was. Uh, in Wind Waker, I don't think anyone spoke other than sort of these little chirps uh, with dialogue bubbles. And Link is the same in, in Wind Waker. Does Link yeah. have dialogue bubbles, though, or don't, does he actually... No, he doesn't. You're right, yeah. he doesn't. He just has facial expressions, right. which um, which were great. The the cell shading really... Uh, I mean, it was very sort of Japanese animation in, in, in character. The big eyes and the very expressive facial expressions, yeah. is that's, that's about the limit of his communication. And now, what are, what are the options for someone who wants to visit or revisit Wind Waker? Can you play it, for instance, on a Wii? Is there any, like, downloadable version or anything? I don't know. I still have the GameCube disc, and that'll play in the Wii, of course, um, right. if you have a controller. Uh, but otherwise, I don't. I don't know. I don't think there is any way. How old is uh, Wind Waker? 
Uh, let's see. I think, what was it? 1992? No, no that stop. Be. Really? <laughs> that can't be right. That can't be right. I'm not sure. Okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna say it's. It, I'm just may, gonna, I, it must have been like ninety ninety, uh, like two thousand two thousand two is probably what I'm thinking. I'm gonna guess the two thousands. Yeah, as a professional yeah. games journalist, yeah. I'm gonna say two thousand two. I'm just gonna throw I, that out there. I, I think I'm thinking of Link to the Past was ninety two. Right. Uh, now, have you played any of the? Did you play the Train Zelda game on your Nintendo DS? I did. I played that and uh, the one that came before it, uh, where you had to do that. Same dungeon over and over and over. Uh, Phantom Hourglass, that's what it was called. Oh, God, that's right, that's right. Did And did either of those work for you very well? They were okay. The, I think they both use the same kind of Wind Waker cel-shading style, but it's sort of uh, graphically degraded for the DS a little bit. Um, they were kind of fun. Uh, they don't... I don't I don't think they really have the same uh, appeal as Wind Waker did, just because the world wasn't as... It's hard to make it as expressive on the DS, I think. Right, right. Uh, Now, you did play, uh, you said you recently finished Darkstalkers, uh, which, of course, has some things in common with the the Zelda games. Uh, How did you feel about Darkstalkers ripping everything off from Legend of Zelda? I think you mean the Darkstalkers. Is it really? It's not the Darkstalker, really? (laughs) Actually, it's just Darksiders. Darksiders, good lord, what are Darkstalkers? Darkstalkers, I was talking to a friend of mine about Marvel vs. Capcom 3 the oh, other really? last night, actually, and some of the characters, I didn't know what he was talking about, because he kept saying Darkstalkers. Like, I think there's a game, a fighting game called Darkstalkers, and some of them, or at least one of them is in Marvel vs. Capcom, so that's what I was thinking of, sorry. But you you, you did not play Darkstalkers, you're talking about Darksiders. Yes, I played Darksiders, although I still don't know what that title means, but uh, uh, yeah, I liked it. I uh, I, I think that uh, the world isn't as developed. I felt, I de- during the early part of the game, I definitely uh, felt like it was more like a God of War than a Zelda. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to realize that it was doing Zelda more than God of War. Um, uh, because there wasn't, there, was, there, was, there wasn't a good sense of when you're in a dungeon versus when you're in the overworld and where you're going. <laughs> um uh, but I liked it. I, I think I, one of the things that I really like about the Zelda games is that as you explore the world, you'll you'll come across an area which contains some weird thing that you don't know what it does. Like it might be a little post, or maybe it's a little hook in this on a tree or something, and you're like, I should be able to do something with that, but I can't. Uh, and then once later in the game, once you right. have got the item that you that works with those things, you realize, oh, that's what that was for. And then so you, you sort of go back there, and now that opens up a whole new thing for you to look at. Uh, I don't think Darksiders really had much of that. Um, there were a couple of places where there was, I think you'd see an ice block or something, which later you learn how to bash to open up a door or something. Um, but that was about the limit of it. And I think one of the things that Zelda makes really good use of is that each item winds up being used for both combat and puzzles. Like you have, you always have to wind up using them in the boss fight, but they usually also unlock doors or new areas just as you explore the world. So I, I feel like the the game design there is is really geared more towards exploration than combat. Whereas Darksiders was a little bit more geared towards combat. Right. Fair point. And I, I'm definitely more of a fan of the exploration side. I mean, games which 
which take even if they're linear like uh say half-life 2 um if they are taking me into a world with new things sort of want sort of awesome things to see uh really uh cool places that that's really what i like and and i think the zelda games deliver on that right yeah darksiders definitely was like here's some cool world of warcraft style cartoony demons and that was it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it was good the combat was great uh It was it was a good game. I liked it. I, I don't know if I'd play it again, but I liked it. That had, that did have an awesome like didn't that wasn't that this wasn't it Darksiders that had a sandworm fight where you're on the the devil yes. horse? I'm thinking of something else. That was Darksiders, nope. right? That was terrific. That reminded me of uh, Shadow of the Colossus. Ah, yes, very good. Very where good. you're riding around on a horse trying to fight that Colossus. Yeah, that was one of the highlights of that game, fighting those big sandworms on the horse. What is the best video game horse? Go. <laughs> <laughs> Best video game horse. Uh, 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 I'll have to say the Zelda horse from Ocarina. Wrong. That's the only horse I can think of. Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> you mentioned it before and you forgot him. No, that I. <laughs> you didn't w- like the Shadow of the Colossus horse. <laughs> <laughs> the, my biggest complaint with Shadow of the Colossus was how finicky it was to try and get back on that damn horse when you're when you get knocked off. I would run up and sort of jump in place futilely. Okay, what about the Red Dead Redemption horse? I haven't played Red Dead Redemption. Okay. Actually, that doesn't count because the horses are so disposable. Your horse dies and you just press a button and a new one shows up. There's no sense that any good game creates of, of having this uh, attachment to your horse. They're, they're just disposable. They're like cars in GTA. Uh, I think I was reading the Red Dead Redemption thread and Ben Sones posted that he was bitten twice by a rattlesnake and accidentally shot his horse in like the first five minutes of the game. <laughs> yeah. and, and the thing is, that's cool. You couldn't care less. It doesn't matter. Just kidding. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, let's see. I'm, I'm actually glad you, you brought me around to calling it its right name again because I just, Wind Waker, just, I had a hard time at first, and now that you've reminded me it's about that little stick, that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah, that's right. You wake the wind. So, by the way, I just want to, uh, I, I every now and then get to write for, uh, for Yahoo, and at one point I was covering Wind Waker, and I managed to, I didn't think this would get past my editor, but he's British, so I don't think he noticed. But I made, I wrote some headline on an article about Wind Waker about uh, Nintendo's little man in a boat uh, does something or something or something. And in case you don't know, and I, I, again, this is locker room talk, little man in a boat is often a euphemism for part of Logan's anatomy that I won't get explicit with here, but I love the fact that the headline made it onto the front page of Yahoo and was uncorrected for like two days and I never said anything about it. I totally thought he wouldn't let that pass and, and he did. So. Well, you'll be happy to know that on the back of the actual Wind Waker box, the right? caption reads, an evil wind is rising. <laughs> so, you know. There's that. <laughs> that's pretty bad too. Not as bad as Little Man in a Boat, maybe. But no, maybe not. <laughs> All right, so good. Uh, thanks very much for uh, talking Wind Waker today. Uh, now, you said you, you put it in uh, to just sort of poke around at it recently. Is it something to play again, or you said probably not, right? Uh, I might play it again. I think it doesn't. Uh, it looks a little pixelated on my um, HD TV, but. Uh, it's not bad. I mean, once you get into it, it's 
it's interesting to start playing it because the controls are kind of different from uh, from sort of what I expect are the standard controls for like a third person game these days. Uh, so there's a, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but once you're into it, it's very very easy to keep going. Yeah. Now, does it like we we talked about you playing Mass Effect two a second time and how the second time it's less about the sense of discovery, more about appreciating little aspects of the, the game design. Uh, is that the case? In, like, does a Zelda game hold up for a second playthrough? Uh, I th- I think it does because it's you you sort of remember well it's, it's been so long that I don't know if I would remember how all the puzzles work I think it, I think a lot of it would probably come back because I've played the game I I've played it several times or or at least I did when it, when I first had it um, for but for me it's you know I don't know if I'd if I would still want to spend all that time sailing around but yeah. I just love the I love the world, uh, so you know it's it's with maybe without a sense of uh, kind of a goal where that I'm sailing towards, it might lose some of it. I, I'm not sure, but I but I still love the the atmosphere of it. Yeah, right. that holds up. Do you think that there's ever a time when uh, Alexander or Zachary are going to be older and you're going to make them sit down and play a Zelda game? Oh God, I hope so. <laughs> and That's would... really exciting to me. I can't wait. The, and, the and they're going to be like, Dad, this game's 20 years old. Do we have to play it? <laughs> See, this is the thing, though. I'm not going to show them any new games. Very So they clever. won't know, right? Well, nice. I guess I get, in order for that to work, I'm going to have to prevent them from having any friends. Hmm. Homeschooling. Just, you know, homeschooling. And uh, there you go. They can play with each other. You can keep them <laughs> insulated from new games. And therefore, you can carefully control, like, their growing realization of the best video games. You know, you can, you can steer them clear of crap like, you know, uh, Pokemon or whatever and just make them see the good stuff. I, I like your I like your plan of attack. No, I don't I can't do that. I mean, one of the to be honest, when I talk to my dad about what I do for a living and, you know, video games in general, mm-hmm. they, you know, he he looks he looks so baffled. Um, <laughs> well, he's old, of course he does. <laughs> he doesn't know anything about that. <laughs> but one of the best things he ever did for me was he got me my own computer when I was very young and uh and I was able to kind of discover this whole sort of hobby myself. Um, and I hope one day to be able to do the same for them and let them kind of go find their own way through it as well. Uh, I, I, I'm a big believer in that. In fact, uh, they're on the right path because uh, when they see my iPhone in my hand, they grab it out of it and start poking around on there. So, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. They go they they go right into the home button and press it as hard as they can. So well, certainly Alexander, you know, he's going to be the scientist adventurer like Indiana Jones. I can That's see right. him getting into that, but I think Zachary is going to be is it Zach or Zachary? Do you call him? Has, uh, we 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 sort of call them either. Okay. Yeah. Well, he is going to be too busy being a football star early on, I think, to 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 fuss around with this computer stuff. So I don't know if that'll take or not. Well, we'll, well maybe out. he'll be uh, he'll be like my wife. He'll be he'll play the Facebook games. Mm, don't oh why do you want to resign him to such a terrible fate what does your wife play on facebook she plays uh a game called cityville oh good lord i know i know believe me (laughs) i I, (laughs) uh it's funny i i I say to her you know that's just like world of warcraft you know she's like no it's not (laughs) 
the is she there right now? Can Nicola come to the, the Skype phone? She's not. I think she's sleeping. <laughs> All right. That's because I was I was going to take her to Plus, I wanted to hear the British accent. But uh, oh, well. <laughs> oh, that's only for her parents. Yeah. <laughs> not to Americans. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, well, Nick, thank you for hanging out with me today. It's been cool talking about Wind Waker. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I, I now have the correct name for it. So awesome. Uh, what are you going to be able to see anything this weekend, movie wise? Uh, I think. Uh, I have an old movie that we're, I think we're going to watch, uh, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. Oh, Richard Burton, yeah. Richard Burton movie, yeah, old black oh, that's movie. that's awesome, that's awesome, you'll like that. I know, I watched like the first five minutes and it, it was amazing. It didn't seem like a movie from the 60s at well, all. Yeah, what made you pick that? That's kind of odd. I don't know, I think I was, I lately I've been looking through like, great movies from the 60s and 70s sort of lists yeah. to try and pick out things that I haven't seen. And that was one of them. I just sound, thought it sounded cool. Plus I really loved the constant gardener, um, yep. which was also a John le Carre book. So, so I decided to grab that one. Have you seen, I, cause I read the book and haven't rewatched the movie since I read the book. Have you seen Taylor of Panama? I, I have, and I didn't like it at all. I thought it was really dull. Hmm, I need to see. Others that. have have raved about it, but I just couldn't. I couldn't get. I actually didn't watch the whole thing. Oh, well, you don't know then. You haven't seen it. <laughs> I know. Maybe it gets awesome. I should give it another try. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, you'll enjoy Spy. Is Nicola going to watch that with you? Spy I hope so. Yeah, she usually does. She movies are one of the big things we share. Yeah, she'll watch anything. Do you guys ever disagree about movies? Where there's something oh. that, and and how does that go? All the time, all the time. I think when we saw Chicago, we saw it um, wh- whatever year it was that that was nominated for an Academy Award. Right. Uh, we we were trying to like see all the nominees, so we went to the theater. We saw that, and as and it was over, we turned to each other and sort of in unison, she said, "Well, I can see why that was nominated for Best Picture," and I said, "I have no idea." Why. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you know this. The director of Chicago has a, a big movie coming out this summer. You might be eager to see. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is it a musical? Nope. It's huh. a big old huge budget tentpole summer movie. I don't know. He, Rob Marshall, went on to direct, and it looks awful. And speaking of Jeffrey Rush and Taylor of Panama, uh, Pirates of the New Pirates of the Caribbean is the director of Chicago. What? Yeah, how about that? That's bizarre. Let, let's see what Nicola thinks of him once, once Although you guys I, have to you sit You know what? That. I can sort of see why they picked him for that. Because well, you, know, you asked, is it a musical? Yeah, you're right. And it, just big set pieces might as well be like a musical in a way. And so. like Johnny Depp's performance is very sort of theatrical. And <laughs> That's a good way to put it, yes. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I can kind of see that. Yeah. I, but hey, Kenneth Branagh is making the next comic book movie. So I know. I know it's down there, apparently. Oh, I don't know what to think of that. Uh, <laughs> isn't that going to be horrible? I don't know. You, should, you need to watch uh, my pick for the movie club because that's a Kenneth Branagh movie. You know what? I hate that movie. I, I am really? sorry to say this, but and I only you know I ducked in the thread. I didn't want to read anything until I was <laughs> I remember seeing Dead Dead Again, Dead Alive, Dead um, Again, Dead Again. What's Dead? Oh, Dead Alive is the Peter Jackson thing. I remember seeing Dead Again when it was in the theaters and just hating it. And it actually fueled my distaste for Kenneth Branagh for many years thereafter. Really, yeah. I love that movie. Love, love, love it. I want to give that movie a big hug. 
You know, I did love Emma Thompson. It's Emma Thompson with him, right? It's Emma Thompson. You have to go into it not expecting something subtle. You have to. Well, you I, have to <laughs> I can give it that. <laughs> but I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, you have to go in expecting sort of, you know, big and satisfying and and sort of sort of very blatant sort of stark imagery and uh you know a kind of bombastic score and just a lot of fun basically you know what i i trust you entirely so i i'll try it but i just i'm not a kenneth Branagh fan for the most part and and i think that's part of where it started doesn't it actually let me call you out on this isn't there even a manic robin williams bit in in that again <laughs> Robin Williams is in it, yes. Oh, Although he, he's not doing his normal sort of uh, John Wayne in the middle of Dead Poet Society shtick. Okay. He's play. He's he, he's he's all right. He's all right. All right. Yeah. His his appearances are mercifully brief. But you know, it's, uh, it's been long enough. I, I should give it another chance. And I I I dislike Kenneth Branagh a lot less than I used to. So maybe it's time to. Uh, maybe it's time to let go of my baggage and just see how that holds up. So just a, just watch it for the writing, because the because Scott Frank I think is a terrific writer and the script is really airtight. I don't want to talk too much more about it because I want people listening to the podcast to go watch it before we All spoil. Right. Good. Okay. Good. Yeah. So, so there you go. So those of you listening, uh, we have that's uh, Nick got your uh, got the movie uh, club pick of the whatever two three weeks pick of the month I guess is how it normally works. So, yeah. Uh, two weeks. Two weeks, Sam. We'll, we'll, we'll see. see if people participate, and we'll see. Yeah. Oh, you're you're in charge of that now. That's right. Yeah. What kind of what what kind of like this is like the Florida results, of the presidential election. What's going on there? What kind of shenanigans are you pulling? <laughs> I may I pick a new person every two weeks. It's no, up to everyone else to participate. Maybe you people done, aren't into it anymore. I don't know. You did a great job managing that. You took over. It was sort of orphaned. So I appreciated you taking over. It was uh, it was mainly selfish. I just I wanted to do I wanted to participate myself. So I just bugged Talisker until he let me do it. Good good. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, everyone, watch Dead again. Uh, play Wind Waker, or at least uh, reminisce with us about Zelda in the uh, podcast thread. If you want to be on the Quarter to Three Games podcast, I want you to be on it. So send me an email at tongchick at quarter to three dot com. Let me know you're interested. Your name will go in the hopper. Every couple of weeks, we draw out a few names and schedule people. So you might have to wait a long time. You might be up very shortly, uh, and I'd love to have you. Uh, Nick, thank you for hanging out with me today. Uh, and we will be seeing you around uh, on the forum. Thanks, Pierre. I mean, Tom. <laughs> you know, I had, so I, I wanted to say, I was like, because you and I screwed up. Actually, no, I think it was just me screwing up your name. For some reason, I thought your name was Gary. So before <laughs> we recorded, I have here on a sheet of paper, and here's here's the paper. I'm right now wiggling it so you know. Yeah. I made a long list of random names, things like Dennis, Basil, Buford, Earl, that I was going to call you over the course <laughs> of the podcast. But it just got too distracting, and I didn't want to. I, I I got cold feet. But I have I literally have two columns of fake names. Jean Claude. I was going to call you Jean Claude at one point, uh, and I I wussed out on it. So. That's all right. I think you and I are the only two people who find that joke funny. It, it, yeah, it's kind of like yeah, it's definitely art and joke, and I enjoy it. I, I'm sure most people have no idea what it is. So I was going to actually that thing that you heard me typing tapping away on my keyboard before we started the podcast was me googling a list of names. <laughs> you, had your, you had your own cheat sheet. <laughs> Apparently, I didn't use it though. Yeah. All right. Well, well. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. I really appreciate it. It's been great.
Hope we'll uh, see you around on the forum, Nick. Yep. Okay. Bye now.